Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. It's a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. This is Ben Tingey, and I am back with Dr. Greg Widener, Medical Director of Primary Care Innovation and Proactive Health, and Ann Summers-Hogg, Director of Innovation at the Atrium Health Innovation Engine, discussing a new primary care practice, Proactive Health. You guys, thanks for coming back a second time to talk with me on the on the podcast. We're just glad you asked us to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to be here, Ben. Well, the last episode was an introduction to Proactive Health. Today, I will channel my inner Guy Raz, and in the spirit of how I built this, We'll ask Dr. Widener and Ann Summers to provide a few insights and stories about the process of designing, building, and launching a transformational primary care practice. Our listeners will be able to verify if we practice what we preach when it comes to applying innovation tools, and we believe today's episode will be an outstanding case study in applied innovation theory as we touch on human-centered design, jobs to be done theory, business model innovation, and, and maybe some others. Uh, But first, a message to our listeners in the podcast universe. Please subscribe to our podcast and then share your favorite episode with a colleague or friend. We love to meet new people and and learn from what you're doing. And so um, connect with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And uh, we certainly wouldn't complain if if you gave us a five-star rating and a review. He says shamelessly. (laughs) I was just thinking shameless plug. (laughs) No, it's great. You know, you you have – I have to say, Ben, you have a great – podcast voice uh, and uh, so that, that's a that's a big plus the, the content is awesome but you have a great podcast voice uh, so. well, well our podcast listeners can't can't see me uh, blushing but th- thank you so much well i've been told i have a good face for radio so maybe, maybe that's, <laughs> that makes us a good team today. i've heard that we'll too um well before we uh, start our, our our questions um there may be some listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episode where we talk about what is proactive health uh, first of all, we encourage you to do that uh, if you haven't um, before you listen to this episode. But just in case, to remind our listeners, Dr. Widener, would you would you take a minute to describe the proactive health care model? Absolutely. So uh, about five years ago, we came to the realization that um, a lot of the work we were doing in prototyping and design led us to a point where we really felt like the entire model of primary care was due for an uplift or really a redesign. And so proactive health is essentially primary care reimagined. Um, it's a value-based primary care model, uh, which I guess I'd describe as a patient-centered medical home on steroids, uh, wrapped in a personalized total health experience, and really relentlessly customer-focused in its design to be convenient and accessible, collaborative, engaging, and personalized. And we opened, our, we opened our first proactive health practice in 2017. Great. Excellent summary. Um, talk to me a little bit more about what was happening in maybe the national healthcare landscape or maybe internally uh, that catalyzed the need to develop a new model for primary care. Yeah, I'll take that from the external perspective first. And really the industry beginning to shift to value and the need to have a new business model that could succeed in a value-based world was certainly one catalyst. And then I think another one, which is related but slightly different, our listeners, if they've listened to prior podcasts, have heard us talk about disruptive innovation theory. 
And disruption often happens at the low end of the market. And primary care is the low end or the entry point of the broader healthcare landscape, especially for us as an integrated delivery system. And so there's the opportunity to disrupt the market at the low end, and there are an increasing number of startups and potential disruptors who are attempting to come into the market with these value-based primary care models that really focus on improving the patient's health and, and providing a really excellent experience for them. And then secondly, there's an opportunity to capture non-consumption in the market, which our listeners may remember is the second type of disruption, new market disruption, which is really looking at how do we engage those non-consumers. And there's a, there's a lot of non-consumption in terms of optimizing health in the healthcare environment. So really the opportunity to uh, capture that, I think, was another impetus. Yeah, I think that's great, and, and I would I would add that that the non-consumption has business implications, but but more importantly has clinical and and health outcome implications. So, if we can design a model that's engaging and delightful, and 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 does the things we want it to do to attract those non-consumers, we're, we're not only driving business model innovation, but hopefully we're driving better health outcomes as well. Uh, I guess I, I would say, you know, what was happening in the landscape, I, I'll go back even a few more years uh, prior to the sort of decision to open the first practice when we opened our uh, prototyping practice and design lab under the same roof back in 2013. And I think that was kind of the evolution of what I guess I would call a perfect storm moment where you had all these factors, you know, the, the shift to value-based reimbursement um, here or on the horizon, depending on your perspective, uh, the growth in uh, participatory health and, and patient engagement and patient empowerment movements, the e-patient movement, um, the growth in consumer-facing technologies, wearables, sensors, trackers, um, the, the rise of mobile social cloud and data as technology drivers. And, and really, you know, I, I spent eight or nine years um, driving enterprise uh, healthcare technology through electronic health record and patient portal implementations and, and optimization um, and change management. And around that time in the 2011-2012 timeframe, um, I think the frontier days of that were behind us and we were kind of establishing uh, a kind of a new settlement in the enterprise HIT land. So the question became, as we're now building up this settlement and we and we now have some buildings and a one-room schoolhouse, and we've got a blacksmith set up in the in the sort of enterprise EMR patient portal world. Um, what's the next uh, frontier? And and to me, it was obvious that this perfect storm moment was brewing to create a frontier around how are consumers going to uh, engage with um, digital technology, digital health in new and different ways that will help transform their experience and our models of delivery. So for me, it goes back to that point. And, and in fact, I, I remember back in, I think, 2012 when we first started these conversations internally with our senior leaders, we actually used the frontier analogy. And, and the, you know, the, in those sort of wagon train days, they would have a scout that would go out and sort of go ahead and, and figure out what's, what's out there and what's next and where it's safe to go. And, and move, makes, move the rattlesnakes off the, yeah. Off the trail. Yeah. So, so in many ways back then we, we were really serving as, as, as frontier day scouts. And it's really fun to be at this point now where 
with our new proactive health practice and our business model innovation, we're we're we're, we're putting together this next um, settlement. Um, and um, and so I you know that, sorry to go back a little bit on that, but I think it's a good complement to what Ann Summers describes as the business drivers uh, in 2014 2015 when we got to the point where that prototyping had um, raised that as a possibility. Excellent description of of the history. Um, some startups they like to describe themselves as say you know we're the Uber of you know this or we're the Amazon of of that. Um, what analogous learning did you do, and 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 what companies were a source of inspiration as you were designing and and, and launching Proactive Health? I'll let Dr. Widener take that one first since he has more history, and then I'll add to it. Ah, okay. Well, that's not fair. But I'll. I'll, <laughs> I'll have a I mean, go I can go first. I just thought that you could. No, that, that's okay. I, you know, I think um, I'll, I'll take a little twist on it because I, I don't want to go in the obvious place and say we want to be the Amazon of healthcare. I mean, you know, okay, great. Everybody wants to, including Amazon now. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I think we talked about that in our last I know, two, I two know. episodes ago. Well played. Yeah. So, so I think um, and go back and listen. It was a good one if you haven't heard it. Um, there's my shameless plug for you guys. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll take it a different direction and I'll say. Uh, what were some of the sort of books or learnings that helped guide us? And and I think uh, The Experience Economy uh, by Pine and Gilmore would be one uh, because the concept of redesigning primary care as an experience economy concept, because I really do think from a pure services perspective, uh, primary care is at risk for being commoditized or commoditizing itself. So being able to build it as an experience in some ways protects us from that low-end disruption. Um, and by the way, produces a, a better patient experience and better outcomes. So that's one. I would also call out Blue Zones, Dan Butner's book uh, uh, about uh, pockets in the in the world where people have uh, a significant longevity and the factors that contribute to that, uh, and the elements of that you know went a long way to defining our total health concept and our six pillars of health that we talked about a little bit in the last episode. Um, and uh, and then I'd say you know the power of habit um, by Charles, Charles Duhigg, Duhigg yeah. which uh, I think has in many ways informed our uh, behavior change approaches uh, and how we've baked that into our clinical protocols and our engagement and coaching approaches. Um, and uh, so uh, th- that's a little different answer to your question, but I'll, I'll give those three as oh, and and Eric Topol's books, uh, Creative Destruction of Medicine and the Patient Will See You Now, re- really. Trumpeting the onset of the uh, of the uh, patient first, consumer driven health era, I think would be another one I, I, that that I should include as well. Yeah, that was that was a great answer, and I think my my thoughts were a little bit more about what were the other companies we looked to, and I think back to 2015 when we were doing our design session around what would this practice feel like and look like, and looking at things like Nordstrom that provided just such an exceptional level of customer service and just an amazing in-store experience. And then also places like Whole Foods, where not only was it a great experience in the store, but the concept of making it easy or achievable to be healthy. And then we also went, and I can't remember the name of the orthodontist office, but or I would shamelessly plug them because they have a great experience, but it was somewhere in Ballantyne, and we went and learned how they made something that was usually scary for kids, like getting braces, just 
really clear, really welcoming, really something that the kids looked forward to and therefore the parents looked forward to it. And it was seamless. It was easy to schedule everything. And I think that's one that really sticks with me. Yeah. You can learn from every, all all kinds of sources of inspiration. Yeah. And I think that the elements of design and and what I would say consumer grade technology, and, and by that I mean things that are so usable that they're easy to pick up and engage with without a user manual or extensive training. And um, I think the the example of the orthodontist is a good one. I think there are some examples that are really well designed within the digital therapeutic space and companies like Omada Health, were, that was one of our early partners in, uh, and we learned a lot from uh, our work with them back in 2013, 2014. Um, and then, you know, other consumer um, digital brands, um, and I, I always think of um, TurboTax, you know, where they've taken something that, again, is um, – really a little bit scary and frightening and black boxish for most people. How do I start? Where do I start? Do I even know anything about this? I've got this shoebox full of receipts and, and I don't know where to go. And And they've somehow managed to digitize that experience to make it um, step-by-step, GPS-style, customized, personalized, interactive. Um, I, 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 you know, a lot of people talk about the Amazon or the Uber of health. I would love to see the TurboTax of health. And, mm. and if they're listening, um, give us a call because we'd love to work <laughs> with you on incorporating <laughs> what you do into our model. Great. Explain the collaboration between the Atrium Health Innovation Engine and Proactive Health. Sure. I'll, I'll take a first pass at that. And I think it's evolved over the past few years. Back in I believe it was 2014, correct me if that's wrong, but Dr. Widener reached out to Dr. Gene Wright, our chief innovation officer, who listeners have heard on the podcast, and asked for some help with design assistance to help with this proactive health practice model design. And I think what it has evolved to is really a strategic partnership between clinical innovation expertise and business model innovation expertise. And in an era where I think your reference in the last podcast, Dr. Widener, was this isn't a bolt-on, it's a total redesign, you need both that clinical expertise and the business model expertise to really create something that is fundamentally new and has the potential to be disruptive. Yeah, and no, I think that's great. And and it's first of all, I'll say it's been a great partnership. And I think uh, we've learned a lot from one another and we've had shared learning that that we've learned together in ways that moved what we what we both do together um, ahead and and um, I guess the other thing that I would say is that the innovation engine's ability to apply um, business theory, uh, innovation theory, and discipline um, and and help with um, our ability to be agile in what is decidedly a, a non-usually agile environment. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm using language like like you did in the last podcast <laughs> and, and summers. So in, a, in an environment that's usually not particularly agile, you can edit that out. Jay. Um, the, the, um, the, so I think that the, our ability to navigate some of those waters, both internally and externally, uh, with our partnership has been fostered by our being together. And in a, in a in an environment where innovation in this space requires the relentless connection of dots, uh, both inside our organization and outside, um, that's an, that's an ongoing um, daily um, challenge before us, and and we're like minded in the need to do that and and our willingness to go and do that. Um, so, uh, from that perspective, that partnership's been invaluable. 
And I think a, a couple other things that I thought of when Dr. Widener was answering that that I would add to it is I think the the team, the concept of team is so important. And it's not just the team of the innovation engine together with the proactive health team, but to make this vision a reality, great leadership was necessary. So both Dr. Jean Wright, uh, Dr. Zev Newworth, Dr. Roger Ray, Carol Levin, they were all instrumental in ensuring that this was ultimately successful. But I think also the team we had throughout the organization, so the support we had from our finance partners, our marketing partners, our information services partners, the list goes on and on. Um, MHR, HR, it we couldn't we couldn't have done it without them. And it was really critical to find people to join the team who had a how might we mindset and those who could think about doing things in an agile way, not the traditional approach of the team. And I'm not really good with sports analogies, so this might be a total bomb, but I kind of think about it like aggregating the soccer team to get the ball all the way down the field. And in the goal, only you're not like on this huge soccer field and you're shooting into a huge soccer goal, but it's something like the size of a soccer field and you're trying to make a goal in a basketball hoop or like an (laughs) ice hockey goal because it's just so different and it's unknown and it's you have to really assemble that team of individuals who can gel together, work together, each bring their own expertise and bring that open mind. Yeah, the team of teams that General McChrystal and Chris Fossil have talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I thought um, you were going to pull in a curling reference there, given the, the, the Winter Olympics. The Winter yeah. Olympics. So you can fold um, that in to, to add another layer of difficulty to <laughs> understanding the challenge of what the goal is. So. Ice hockey was kind of Winter Olympics, right? Yeah, d- yeah, yeah of course it is. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, no, it was absolutely. That, w- that wasn't too bad a sports analogy. Okay, so, thanks. Yeah. Uh, we'll have, my son will listen to this, and he's a soccer player, so we'll see what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, what innovation tools did you use to develop Proactive Health, and at what, which points in the process did you deploy them? Yeah, I think a lot of tools, but perhaps my favorite that listeners may be sick of hearing me talk about is the relentless focus on the patient or the consumer perspective. And so really learning about what it is that the patient cares about, what is it the consumer is looking for, and making sure that we're really building a solution around helping them to achieve their job to be done. And jobs arise in people's lives and they change. And people have different jobs at different points in their journey, as Dr. Widener has mentioned. And so that's something that I think you said, at what point in the journey did you use the tools? And that's something we continually come back to is listening to the patients, talking to the customers, and understanding what is it that they like, what is it they're looking for, and what can we do better. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I really like about that is that it's that that concept of customer discovery, evaluating jobs to be done, um, ethnography research has has really – now is now baked into our model so it it occurs on a daily basis with really our entire team interacting with patients so anytime we can learn from in an insightful way a patient's experience their journey their challenges in ways that help us to design and redesign because you know this thing is still far from a finished product and we have a lot of continued development and continuous learning to go so what I love is that we went from the theory of those things to the application of those things at a macro level to the application of those things on the day-to-day level that just help us to continually get better. And so many lessons learned of, of things we assumed 
that patients wanted or needed or would engage with that we were just flat wrong about. And I, I can give you a dozen that I was just dead wrong about. Um, and uh, it's encouraging to learn that, learn that early um, and in a prototyping way, be able to, to pivot and shift to something that people do care about. Uh, and whether that's the way you deploy the staff, the way you deploy your technology, uh, your approaches, um, so many lessons. And and some of them now are kind of core to how we build what we build going forward because our, our patients have spoken loudly and clearly, um, and especially in people with chronic conditions, you know, the the last thing they want is something that we think they want, but that's just going to add more burden to their life. And so, you know, that concept of your solution is not my problem um, is very real, right? So we got to make certain that, that we understand the problem and seek to understand that first and then build and design a solution or solutions around that. Yeah. Definitely. And in terms of that learning mindset, another tool of whether it's business model innovation methods or disruptive innovation theory, being really certain that we know what we're testing. So being clear about what is our hypothesis about how consumers may respond or how this clinical approach may work. So outlining what's the hypothesis, how am I going to test it, and then what are the metrics of success I'm going to use to determine if I validated or invalidated my hypothesis. So I think being really clear about testing what it is we want to learn. Yeah, and it's challenging because the the ability to measure something doesn't make it important, right? So we want to make what's important measurable as opposed to making what's measurable important. And you know, that's that that requires some creativity around how are we going to measure this in new and different ways for a different business model and a different design ethic. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like a pretty exciting blend, an amalgamation of lean startup, human-centered design, disruptive innovation theory, jobs-to-be-done theory, and the list goes on. It's, it's, uh, yeah, that's. I think that's a good summary. Well, some of these innovation tools you learned halfway through the project. So how did your focus or maybe your application pivot once you learned about some of these theories? That's a great question. One I'll take from the customer discovery perspective. I mentioned that, you know, human-centered design, first tool we were using. And it's not that talking to the customers changed throughout the journey because we continued to do that and we started doing that. I think it's how we spoke to the customers that changed. I stopped asking asking things like, what would you do if or what would you pay for? And instead focused on uncovering the job to be done and asking them about past behaviors and why those behaviors occurred or why that decision was made. Because people are much better about telling you about the past and about what has actually than happened about, than speculating yeah. about what they will do in the future. Because we're all a little optimistic and like to think we'll behave differently than we really will. Yeah. And they'll just tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point. And I, I, I do think really – Every good clinician in every encounter is doing customer discovery, patient discovery, jobs to be done, evaluation to try to determine what progress is this individual, this patient in front of me trying to make and how can I help or my team help support that. So in many ways that the concept of um, customer-centric design is baked into models of primary care and chronic condition management. Um, it's just that I think when you apply that in a more disciplined way and as Ann Summers suggests – 
with some some more validated tools that really get to the reality. Then you take out some of that observer bias or other biases that we have where we think we know or the patient thinks they know but but their behavior says otherwise that really helps us to, to, to kind of crack that. Um, and, you know, I, I think, for example, patient education um, is, a, is a great example. I, I think patient education is a standard part of most encounters. You know, you give folks a big handout when they leave the hospital or when they leave the office or when they've seen someone for an education-related visit. And I think one of the things we've learned is patients don't want to be educated. They want to learn. So if we can incorporate our continuous collaborative real-time engagement along those lines and help them gain insights that get them to the same point of understanding of their disease process or their treatment course or the opportunities for lifestyle change, um, but without a 60-page handout, um, uh, but rather those lessons learned uh, in a meaningful way uh, with a trusted relationship, the, the stickiness of that and the impact of that is so much greater. And our patients have shown us that, didn't necessarily tell us that, but they've shown us that over the last few years. And we've used that to reimagine how we do things. So. Yeah. Well, um, Dr. Widener is a music fan, and uh, we joked about singing or quoting lyrics on the podcast, but the lyric that came to mind was, we don't need no education. <laughs> well done. I, so we got you to sing. That's great. So, uh, that's great. So you, now you need to do it on every episode. Oh, so man, that's the standard. I don't know if I can. Uh, you no, set the precedent. And then each episode will be just another brick in the wall. Uh, so. um, well, in our in our discussions, and I think we'll probably end with with this question. Um, in our in our discussions on business model innovation, in our first few episodes, we we talked about the need to separate new and, and potentially disruptive business models from the core. Um, talk to me about what Proactive did to um, to follow that part of disruptive innovation theory. Definitely, and this was a step that we took. After we had the opportunity to go to Harvard Business School and learn from Clay Christensen about disruptive innovation theory, where he really hammered home the point that you have to separate a potentially disruptive business model from the core organization. You can't leave it within the core organization because if you do, the core will crush it. It can't support something that has the ultimate ability to disrupt day-to-day -day business. The mothership will attack the pirate ship. Exactly. And so you have to separate Arg. it out. <laughs> you have to separate it out. And we took that step with proactive health. So we took proactive health out of the traditional medical group structure, and it reports up to Dr. Gene Wright in the innovation engine. So it is completely separate from the operations of the traditional medical group. That said, it was a first step to separate from the core. There's still some processes and resources that Proactive Health is tied to because we're still part of the overall Atrium Health organization. So I think that reporting through the innovation engine was really a critical first step to create a separate entity. Yeah. And I, again, I think we talk all the time about the difference between separate and autonomous. And uh, it was a, a substantial move for Atrium Health and for Proactive Health and for the Innovation Engine to make that move for us to be separate and an important one. Um, but I think we would we would all agree that autonomous is really the goal to be able to do everything you need to do. And so what I would say to those who are contemplating this dual transformation model within their organization for whatever you're working on, um, I think the ten the tendency is to say. Let's think about 
what we can do that won't ruffle too many feathers or won't roil too many waters. Um, so let's let, instead of maybe a pirate ship, maybe we'll just you know jump overboard in a lifeboat and see if we can get to a pirate ship because it seems like that will be better received by our senior leadership and our current organizational culture. And what I would say, just from experience and from where I think we need to go next, is I would say go big or go home. Um, jump off, get to the pirate ship, do it quickly, um, and and that will allow you, I think, to have the agility and the autonomy to pull really important, valuable resources from the mothership um, that that suit what you need to do, um, but then to have the opportunity and the ability to choose which ones and when to match the resources, processes, and priorities that your new business model needs to succeed. There's a great book that talks about that, Dual Transformation, that describes that process very well. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I I always like to think of it in terms of um, if proactive health was a bunch of folks in our garage and we had our own kids' college savings tied up in it, what would we do and how would it be different? And um, the separateness has allowed us to do some things that are more akin to that. But I think true autonomy would allow us to act in a in a decisive and committed way um, that um, you know we would have that hunger to do because you know it's it's really it's it's our business's success or failure that's on the lines. One thing I would add to that that I think the separation into innovation engine has allowed proactive health is different metrics of success. I know I hammer on this all the time. You're both smiling. But new business models have to have fundamentally different metrics of success because you can't measure tomorrow's business model based on how we define success today. And by separating proactive health out of the medical group into innovation, it has had the autonomy to really develop the metrics of success that are necessary for a value-based innovative primary care model. Yeah. And and, and I will say that that uh, at an organizational level, the senior leadership support that we've had for the innovation engine and for proactive health and the ability to become separate and to help define those different metrics of success has been unbelievable. And it, I think yeah. it, it speaks to what an innovative organization Atrium Health is and, and wants to be. Um, and and for that, we're very grateful and and continue to work toward refining what that means, both in terms of understanding the impact of it, not only for proactive health, but for future uh, emergent and disruptive strategies as well, so that we have a, a roadmap to follow, so we know exactly how to do autonomous, so that we know exactly how to do um, supportive um, uh, mothership with resources pulled when and where they're needed. So um, I, I think it's been a great learning experience for our very innovative large healthcare system and, and of course, for us um, on the innovation engine team and for proactive health. Well, Ann Summers, Dr. Widener, thank you both so much for sharing this really inspiring story of innovation at work, um, applying it towards a, a total health approach to primary care. Thank you both. Thanks for having us, Ben. It's been fun. Absolutely. It's great to be here, Ben. Thanks. Yeah. Well, um, so how else can our listeners learn more about Proactive Health? Yeah. So uh, Ann Summers and I are doing a talk at uh, HIMSS Digital Personal Connected Health Symposium um, next month in Las Vegas. So uh, folks can uh, check us out there if you're going to be uh, in Vegas for HIMSS. Uh, and certainly feel free to reach out to any of us. And we always love to talk about uh, business model innovation and clinical innovation and, and how they come together. Terrific. Thank you to our listeners for your support. Um, your innovation Sherpas have some irons in the fire for future episodes and topics and, and some guests. 
Um, so be excited. This is Ben Tingey. Be well, everybody. children. <laughs> All right. Oh, so now we're loose.